Welcome back to the Cross Stands and Father Bryce coming to you from uh, Holy Cross in Morgan City, uh, Louisiana. I have uh, with me today a dear friend of mine, uh, Jennifer Ely. Uh, Jen uh, has a master's degree in theology. Um, we both got our master's degree from the same place, but her uh, her concentration is in the sacred liturgy um, and dogmatic theology, while mine is in sacred scripture. So Jen uh, loves Jesus deeply and she asks the best questions. Um, so we have that theological expertise and um, and just just great great questions as we have this conversation uh, today. Uh, Jen is also so in love with Jesus that she's married to him. Jen is a consecrated virgin here in our diocese uh, down in Homa Thibodeau. So uh, welcome. Thank you, Father Bryce. Nice to be here. All right. Uh, so I've never. Um, I, we're learning how to do this. <laughs> this is the, the first time that we do this. So um, so I'm just going to start talking. And and you interrupt me and chime in, and then we'll go from there. So just like normal. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Ex- exactly. <clears throat> so we're on uh, part two of uh, Sacred Scripture as we ask what we believe and as we walk through the catechism of the Catholic Church. And uh, today we wanted to ask about, well, which books are in the Bible? How did we get the Bible? Um, we wanted to ask the a very uh, uh, popular question of what's the difference and why the difference between the Catholic Bible and the Protestant Bible and um, the, the equally popular question, Father, how do I read the Bible? Like, where do I start? What do I do? Uh, that kind of thing. So which books are in the Bible? How do we know uh, which books are supposed to be in the Bible? Well, the Bible was uh, put together um, like it's it's 2000, like 1700 years ago um, as the church was was living her life and as the gospel was being spread around the ancient Near East and around the Roman world and as people were beginning to live the Christian faith and then for a hundred years and then 200 years and then 300 years and and people began to ask well what are which books are we supposed to be reading which books give us the truth about God the truth about our Lord Jesus Christ so there's this great story of a Bishop Serapion. Uh, they had really cool names back then. Uh, bishop Serapion, he was bishop in somewhere in Syria, I think. And uh, somebody came to him and said, Bishop, uh, we've been praying in like this corner of the diocese at, at, the ma- at Mass the, with the Gospel of Peter. And Bishop Serapion had never heard of the Gospel of Peter before. But he said, oh, Peter, great. Yeah, he keep doing that. Uh, and then... Uh, some kind of way he ended up getting a copy of Peter. So he said, well, yeah, if it's from Peter, you know, the Prince of the Apostles, you should definitely be reading it. But he also did his diligence and got a copy. And what he realized was that it wasn't from Peter. <laughs> and he knew that it wasn't from Peter because it had wrong teaching in it. it, what it uh, one of the big things that it said that was wrong was that Jesus only uh, had the appearance of of a human body, like on the cross, so that it's a her- that's a heresy called docetism. Docetism is Greek for like to appear, and it just it, it was that Jesus wasn't re- didn't really take on a body, didn't really take on flesh, and and that that's wrong. That that's a heresy. So Bishop Rabin said, "Stop reading it. It's clearly not from Peter." And so they did. That story illustrates the three criteria that the church used. Uh, in the formalization of the canon, or in the canonization of the scriptures. In other words, in in putting the scriptures together. Nobody that I know of uh, ever said these three things, like straight out, 
But when we read uh, things like this, the true story about Bishop Serapion or what the church fathers say about the scripture, we come to the three criteria of orthodoxy, apostolicity, apostolicity, that, is, that word is hard to say, <laughs> and liturgy. So three, uh, three things, orthodoxy, apostolicity, and liturgy. Let's go back to Bishop Serapion. How did he get the text of the Gospel of Peter? Well, they were using it at Mass. They were, they were using it when the church gathered together to pray. Uh, wh- why did Bishop Serapion at first think that it was a, a good thing to do? Well, because it purported to come to, from an apostle. In fact, Peter, the Prince of the Apostles. And how did Bishop Serapion know that it actually wasn't from Peter? Well, because it wasn't orthodox. It was teaching things that were wrong. Orthodoxy simply means right teaching. And of course, he's pulling the understanding of orthodoxy from what we know to be the the properly recorded gospels and and things like that. What are we what are we basing that understanding of orthodoxy off of? Why didn't he just say like, oh, well, if this is written by Peter, then this must be, you know, again, like you said, Prince of the Apostles. Mm -hmm. How is he saying like, you know, this is not from Peter mm-hmm. because of blank. What's that What's that blank that we fill in? Because Peter's teaching and Paul's and John's and everybody else's, which come from Jesus, was handed down to Bishop Serapion. So whoever, whoever was bishop before him taught him, and whoever was before him taught him. And so it, Bishop Serapion knew that this wasn't the preaching of Peter, not because he had some other document from Peter. He might have had the letters of Peter. I have no idea. But because Peter's teaching, Jesus' teaching, had been handed down uh, through the ages. And that's we said before um, that, that that's what tradition is, right? Tradition, to tradition, means to hand down, try to enlighten so that's how he knew that it wasn't orthodox because it wasn't in accord with what was handed down. Mm-hmm. So I can't stress enough that the the church preceded the coming together of the Bible. The church made the determination of which books belong in the Bible. The tradition told us what really was Scripture. You know, they did, some, it's very easy for us today um, for multiple reasons to get that backwards. And we all remember, hey, that, that's why that's such a good question. I'm sure that's why you asked it because um, you're waiting for that. Um, that which is handed down comes first. That's how we know what's orthodox. Right. Yeah. I mean, I just like understanding and knowing the little that I do about the culture that this originated from. It's very much about, um, you know, what, what is handed down, what is given to you from those who came before. Um, we know that from our study of theology in general, like um, Thomas Aquinas tells us that it's the science that is given to us. It's not a science that comes from, from the earth, but rather is handed from, from God and the angels to us. Um, and so we, we kind of almost follow that pattern. Um, the Jewish people, you know, were very adept at their, um, at their oral tradition. And so again, we kind of follow in, that, in those footsteps. Yeah, it's because we are, theology is about being led into the mystery. It isn't about, um, isn't about discovering something new, but it's about entering into more deep, entering more deeply into relationship with God who is. Right. Which brings us to new understandings, but it's not, it's not the same as, you know, finding a cure for cancer. It's not the same as like the medical science field. It's, it's its own particular field 
Well, because those things are about data. Right. I'm finished after I have a procedure for the, the cure of cancer or whatever it may be. But with God, it's a relation with theology. It's, it leads to a relationship with a person. Mm-hmm. And well, in, in human relationships and in, in human friendships and uh, the relationship between human beings, we can't exhaust that. Like we're not, we're not done learning. We just keep, we are led into the mystery of the person. So if God is, well, God, he's bigger than Mm -hmm. all of us. If God is that which is, then we can always be led more deeply into the mystery. And that's what theology is, is being led into, into the mystery. I guess I've said that like 15 times already (laughs) just now. I've been keeping count. Yeah. (laughs) How many? Oh, uh, eight. Uh huh. (laughs) So then obviously the third one is Probably my favorite one, but I don't know if you're uh-huh. ready to say the third one yet. About liturgy? Yeah. Yeah, tell, tell, talk about it. Oh, me talk about it. I wanted to just hear you talk about it, and I was just going to bask in the glow. <laughs> uh, well, like, I mean, they read it at Mass. Yeah. <laughs> or, or actually, um, oh man, this could take us This could take us far afield. Yeah. Um, but at, at that point, at 300s, I'm not sure if they were having daily Mass yet, um, mm. but what they would do is they would especially the churches that were in the cities, right? They would get together in the morning, the Christian, like on their way to work or, or whatever. Um, they would go to church and they would, you know, stop for, I don't know how long it was, then maybe 15 minutes or whatever, and pray morning prayer. Mm-hmm. They would pray the, what we call today the liturgy of the hours. And then in the evening, they would do the same thing. And then they had mass on Sunday. Um, like, uh, well, uh, Lexa Rondi, Lexa Credendi. Right. That's what, you know, you stole my, stole okay, my Okay, well, tell us what it means. <laughs> no. Well, I just, I, you know, I was thinking about um, that, just the fact that you just said liturgy, like what it's used for in the liturgy. And it's because it's the fact that it's it's the living word. I mean, hmm. it's not a dead word. Um, I think it's St. Paul who says that. Don't don't quote me on that, though, because my scripture is my one of my Achilles heels here. It's definitely in the catechism. Oh, good. There we go. Hmm. Um, so somebody much smarter than I at some point said this, you know, that it's, it's a living and active word. Um, and it's something then that we as living beings who have habits, who have structures in our lives, who have seasons in our lives use in order to, you know, take those steps deeper into the heart of God. Um, and so liturgically speaking, liturgy is meant to be one of those enriching habits that we have as Catholics. It's meant to, guide us every single day we have the ability to um practice the liturgy every single day to as um romano gordini or as as benedict the 16th would say to play the liturgy every day in order to prepare ourselves for the heavenly feast um and so we we can't do that without an understanding of scripture without scripture being present Mm -hmm. because again it's christ it's the word of god um spoken to us given to us to meditate on um, given to us to live out the Paschal mystery day by day. Um, and so this, this scripture, these, these chosen passages, these chosen books <clears throat> are meant to, you know, enrich that life, meant to bring that liturgy um, into my life, but also bring, bring highlights to my life by, um, by that practice, by that, by that ritual action. Um, so it helps, you know, and, and when we were talking about it, actually just, it just popped up into my head. Um, you, you actually sent me uh, a screenshot from someone, um, the Southern monk, uh, uh-huh. um, 
he he posted the the royal nuptials of heaven and earth mm-hmm. and how this preparation now obviously we're not in advent anymore um so it's you know it's definitely going to come back around obviously um to meditate on this more next advent but we're kind of in the middle of the nuptial um the nuptial reality in the christmas season of of christ to his bride the church and this this passage wherever he pulled it from we're we're in the second part of the the uh, the play i guess um if you were to call it a play where the king appears at christmas um he comes in servants clothing and then we we have the celebration his retinue so the the his i guess uh for a modernization of that his um groomsmen his ushers um the people who prepare with him for the heavenly um marriage the heavenly wedding his retinue of the martyrs like stephen the virgins like john the children like the holy innocents um and then his glance towards the cross being that sunday in between christmas and the um in the epiphany and then the epiphany being this whole amalgamation of different feast days um you know the the wise men coming his wedding guests um and the uh the the receiving of those wedding guests on on the date of the epiphany his purification for his bride his own baptism in the in the jordan river that's coming um and then that second sunday after the epiphany when we read the um the wedding feast at Cana. We're hearing about, um, and I'm stealing from Dr. Petrie here. We're <laughs> we're hearing about that first miracle of uh, that's recorded in the Gospel of John, wherein not only Jesus isn't just helping out this bridegroom. He's not just um, you know making sure that this wedding keeps going. He's proving to us his main mission, which is to come for his bride. And so, like that, and that's just one section of the liturgical year kind of explained through some of the scripture that we hear. Um, There's so much more, and there's so much more depth, and there's so much more um, as we go forward into the liturgical year now that we're, you know, a couple of months into it, um, that really is enriched, is is supported by um, these scriptures that we have as Catholics. So, struck by the wise men, especially in the context of, uh, or the magi, in, in the context of um, the church's reception and our personal like reception of the Bible. Um, so I'm thinking about the magi. They they read. Well, we're not exactly sure what they read, but they probably <laughs> read like a little part of the Bible. They probably had the oracle of uh, Balaam from the book of from the book of Numbers uh, that they were that star would arise from Judah. So they had this this little piece of the Bible theoretically, um, and if that's right, then their encounter with the Word brought them to action. And their encounter with the Word brought them to the house in Bethlehem where Jesus was with Mary and with Joseph. They didn't just like sit in their ivory towers in Persia or wherever they were and and just read. Right? But they they went to where God was. And that's that, so if the the privileged place for the reception of the Bible is where God has chosen to dwell. 
So when we come, like we come to mass on Sunday, and that's the place, like to receive the word of God. Of course, which at some point, probably next time, we're gonna talk about like reading the Bible uh, and uh, daily and going through the Bible ourselves. But remember, like like the wise men, their reading of the Bible, if that's what they were reading, led them to to the church, so to speak, to the domestic church of the Holy Family. Their reading of the Bible led them to where God chose to dwell. So they give really an example, an example for us as to how to, how to live. Um, because it's, it's always about a relationship with a person. And that person, Jesus Christ, God made flesh, has gathered about himself a community has gathered about himself a family uh, that is the, the church. Um, so, um, yeah, I really liked what you said in the last podcast about um, about the mosaic that is scripture, uh-huh. because when, like you said, when you look at like one piece of the mosaic, it might not make sense alone, or it might be hard to understand alone. Mm-hmm. Um, but when you step back, when you see the full mosaic. And actually, it's, it's almost like you're stepping back and you're seeing a full mosaic of the Word of God, which is Christ himself, because everything is pointing to that culmination um, in Christ. And so that just everything is giving you that ability to deepen that relationship. Every Even if it's confusing, it's almost like God's invitation to you to, okay, well, if it's confusing, let's figure it out. Let's go find, you know, let's go find what Cyril of Jerusalem said about it. Let's go find what whoever might have said about um, about this particular passage and let's understand it together because he's so in love with us and he so deeply desires for us to, you know, dive into the depths of his heart um, that he challenges us sometimes. Mm-hmm. So wrap up with an image. Um, an image from the Bible um, of uh, Jacob. Uh, was it Jacob? Was it Isaac? <laughs> Who wrestled with the angel? Uh, Jacob. Jacob, okay. Um, uh, Jacob wrestling with the angel. So God, J- Jacob's trying to do God's will and, and, and the angel of God appears to Jacob and and, uh, and they, they have a, a wrestling match and that um, provides us with a good example of what happens when we encounter the Word of God and when we encounter like the will of God. Like, oh, like this challenges me. This is cause this uh, moves me on to change, or, or or maybe not want to, but maybe need to. Or, and and so we wrestle with the Word of God. We read it, we receive it, and we wrestle with it. And the place to do that is in the context of the community of the church. So we wrestle with God together at. Sunday Mass. That, that's, that's why uh, all across the diocese, adults are getting into small groups and going through the scriptures so that we can wrestle together in this community that supports us so that we might not become discouraged, but so that we can, well, well grow, grow together. And like, I, can't, um, I can't come to understand all that myself, but it's in, it's in dialogue where in many cases, where we come to better under, to better understand it's um, 
it's who is who is Cyril of Jerusalem <laughs> and how and how do I like get to what he what he wrote or actually what he preached in his mystagogical catechesis? What does mystagogical mean and how can I find that in English? Mm-hmm. Um, so I guess the encouragement is like the Magi to come to find Jesus, come to the church as and receive the Bible that way. Read the readings ahead of time. Perhaps read them afterwards to pre- to prepare and then to process um, and and remember the story, the history of Bishop Bishop Serapion. These these books come from the apostles or uh, from the the New Testament come from the apostles or those associated with the apostles. These these books were written by God, their primary author being the Holy Spirit, and also by human beings who cooperated with God. And that we know now, like they show us along with the sacred tradition, the orthodox faith, that is the true faith, um, that which is handed, that's what has been handed down, which has been tradition to us from Jesus uh, through the apostles down through the centuries. So orthodoxy, apostolicity, and liturgy as we enter into the mystery as we're drawn in wrestling with God into the mystery of his divine life and of his love for us. Is there anything else we need to say for this one? I think we're good. All right. Well, uh, thanks, Jen, for being with me. We'll, we'll record some more <laughs> and, uh, and, and do this uh, for frequent, I hope, for frequent episodes. Uh, thank, thank you all for being with us today. Uh, happy New Year again as we enter into 2020. And uh, talk to you soon. God bless you.